episode of What Is My Podcast About, a podcast where on a basis of once every two weeks, we sit down and talk about some random topic in an attempt to try to figure out what we want to talk about for our podcast. Matt, I feel like your insistence on not saying the F word really <laughs> makes that intro like so, like, Specific is the word I'm going to use. Sorry, I'm already going off the rails. Yeah, man, you got to say every time. We'll release an episode whatever the fuck we want. Yeah. Well, with some of our wimpy bites, we kind of are. That's true. Yeah, whatever we feel like recording a wimpy bite, we're just like fucking... Oh, another F word feel like it. Yeah. But anyway, I'm Matthew, and joined today, as always, by Peter. <laughs> Hi. And Keith. Hey. Uh, you're saying that a lot with a flourish. I think that's what broke Peter specifically. <laughs> You're getting really enthusiastic about not saying fortnightly. Yeah. Well, it's either me being very enthusiastic with my arm motions, even though they can't be seen by anyone listening, or I just come across as monotone and boring. I, I hope the audience, when they listen to this audio-only podcast, can tell how much talking with your hands you do during the intro. <laughs> He's literally tried to strangle Peter like seven times. Yeah. There's also, Have like, I? occasionally just flipping the finger at me from across the table. Oh, I don't know if that's speaking with your hands specifically. I didn't even notice. I'm sorry. But anyway, that aside, how are you guys doing? Oh, I'm alive currently, I guess. That's what I'm going with. The main thing I, I've been doing uh, recently has been uh, watching The Crown. Season 4 came out on Netflix. It's the story of, you know, Queen Elizabeth and... Everything's happened to her since she's been in power, essentially. It's the Princess Diana stuff going on right now, so that's always pretty interesting. Uh, on top of that, I've also been playing Super Mario All-Stars 3D. Uh, can I ask you a question about the crowd? Do they tend to take a more, like, biographical approach, or do they tend to use artistic license with it a little bit more? So the thing specifically that the director said is that he wants to tell a story that's truthful, but you can't always narratively set something up with that, so he has a focus on making a narrative that's, you know, entertaining and tells kind of like a compact story within the season. So he's taking liberties with it, but he said that he wants people that are watching it, what you're seeing on the screen might not be exactly what happened, but the truth of it is what happened. Okay, so to get around to my main point, he has not leaned into the conspiracy theory of Princess Diana's death. So that hasn't happened yet in the season. Okay. You're just building up to it. Okay. Uh, she show, she got introduced this season, and they got married. Uh, and a story finishes off, I think, eighty eight or something like that. Okay. So it's still like three, four years before uh, the accident. We're, so we're they might, there, but you know, they they show stuff that like the conversation how it happened or everything dramatically that led up to something happening might not be the truth, but what happened is still the truth. Okay. So you know. Prince Charles was still, you know, cheating on her the whole time, and she was cheating on him. That's still the truth. They had, you know, mistresses and lovers and all that stuff. But who they're specifically with might not be the truth. Just the aspect of that's what they were doing. Okay, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. As long as we eventually get a scene of Queen Elizabeth on the grass, you know, I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, JFK already died in the series, so... Oh, I got my timeline backwards. Ah, <laughs> uh, fuck, sorry. Ignore what I'm saying. And I was saying about uh, Super Mario All-Stars there, too. It's really fun going back and playing these games. Oh, is this the 3D All-Stars with yeah. 64, Sunshine, and Galaxy? So they, the games are still the same. They're essentially just emulated games, but they updated the graphics on it, oh. which I feel like it kind of caused the same problem with Crash Bandicoot when they remastered it, where they kept the gameplay the exact same, but updated the appearance of it. Mm. So, like, I'm fine I'm mis 
gauging certain parts of the game for like jumps or like movements where it's like hmm, this looks a lot better so i gotta do this got precise movements oh no i was wrong did you do the uh, snowy level with the penguin yet that's like level two did you drop the penguin child off the cliff i'm not a monster matt so yes good just 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 confirming what you've done just confirming that you've done what everyone else does at some point so i'm not a monster only sociopaths wouldn't drop the penguin off the cliff Sociopaths don't drop it off the cliff. Psychopaths do. Yes. I don't want you to read into too much about what that says about our social group, but everyone I know drops it off the cliff. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Another big thing that happened uh, since our last recording was the Game of the Year Awards. Uh, So those are going to be happening on December 10th, VGAs. And they've announced the candidates, or nominees, I should say, for Game of the Year. Ooh. So we have Ghost of Tsushima, Hades, Doom Eternal, Last of Us Part 2, Animal Crossing New Horizons, and Final Fantasy VII Remake. Ooh. So, just to clarify how they end up doing the winner of these awards is they actually get the nominees from a lot lot of different uh, companies. So, it would be, you know, some developing companies, some uh, public-facing ones. So, for example, Kotaku will get so many nominations and votes. Same with, you know, GameStop and stuff. Well, not GameStop. uh, GameSpot? The website. GameSpot. GameSpot. So like a bunch of those ones will get a certain amount of votes themselves and so it's not just like a panel of like five or so people decide this. It's yeah. based on how many votes for first place, second place, third place accumulate a certain amount of points. So even though a lot of people might have an idea of this is Game of the Year and they split amongst those three, if everyone has the same second place game for Game of the Year, usually that's the one that will win. Mm. So do you guys have any opinions on what you think is going to win? Uh, I think it's going to be a toss-up between Ghosts of Tsushima and the Final Fantasy remake. I think Ghosts of Tsushima is definitely a top contender, but I'm wondering if that's going to be one of those ones that are kind of like cannibalized by like other people voting for other games. Because looking at like what what could be everyone's game number two on this, and I think Hades or Animal Crossing is a good contender yeah. for taking this. I think most people are going to put Animal Crossing in their top three. But I think due to the nature of Ghost of Tsushima and how it's got that kind of Dark Souls-esque quality to it, there's going to be a lot of people who aren't into that, who aren't going to put it in their top three, which might detract from its score. Ghost of Tsushima wasn't really a Dark Souls game. I know it wasn't like, a Dark game, Souls but... game, but it had that like difficulty curve aspect. Yeah, fair enough. But um, uh, I don't know. I'd say it has a stronger pull to it because it recently got revitalized, I guess, with... Well, not really revitalized, yeah, since it hasn't been out all that long. Hmm. But it did recently get its multiplayer update, so it has multiplayer now. Yeah. yeah. And kudos to Hades for being on this list. It's an indie company that made Hades, so it's like yeah. a small group of people compared to all these you know, AAA games getting made. If Hades wins, that would be pretty cool on its own. Yeah, I'd be alright with it if Hades won. Um, to me... Uh, I don't know. I feel like Final Fantasy VII, uh, the remake, has a lot of good points for because it was a very enjoyable game to play. But I think the fact that it is a remake uh, is going to count against it in a lot of people's rankings. Well, that's the argument that always happens, too, because I remember Resident Evil 2 Remake was such an amazing game that like, yeah. from the ground up they remade it. Final Fantasy VII Remake's a bit misleading, honestly. In the yeah, because it's not actually a remake. It's an entirely it's, separate game with the yeah. same lore plot. It's taking the same story, but then fleshing it out so much more over yeah. the course of several games that have... Yeah. Which, that brings, up, that brings up the question of, like, how much do they have to change it 
in order for it to stand on its own to be like if it was just like a remaster obviously you don't want to put that in you know a game of the year discussion right but if they change it that much does it get to a point where it's able to be in the discussion for game of the year because it's can be considered a new thing even though it's storyline wise a remake yeah uh yeah i i think it deserves to at the very least end up in like top three in a lot of votes i just do think that there's gonna be a certain camp of people who are opposed to it given the fact that it's remake and also the whole unless i'm mistaken the whole game is not owed at this point we're still yeah yeah it's final fantasy 7 part one essentially yes uh and so i think those two facts are going to count against it in a lot of people's minds uh so i don't know that it's gonna place as well as it probably deserves from the I haven't played it personally yet myself, but the people I've spoken to who have played it sing nothing but praises for it. Oh, so. I played it and I fucking loved it. I just worry about what uh, arguments people are going to be trying oh, yeah. to make against it. And just a reference for a few of the previous year's winners. So last year, Sekiro uh, won for Game of the Year. The year before mm-hmm. was God of War. Uh, the year before that was Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, which honestly is probably one of the best games ever made. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Overwatch was game of the year before that one. Uh, that one's not doing the best. But you can see a bit of it, like, it's Witcher before that. So, like, I think Ghost of Tsushima definitely has the end, if you just look at the type of games that have been winning yeah. for the last couple of years. People have certainly come to enjoy open world kind of games. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if we talk about last year specifically, because that one had, uh, what was the winner last year again? Sekiro. Sekiro? Uh, that wasn't open world, but is another. Nah. Well, that was a very Souls like style of yes. map. Yeah. So it wasn't like an open world, but it ve- definitely felt. It like was. It. it was what yeah. Souls veterans loved. It was the class, kind of a classic Souls formula, but with a much more refined system and much faster paced combat, as opposed yeah. to the slow, methodical. I guess slog is not really a flatter name, but it is a descriptive name of what you do through the other Souls games. Mm-hmm. But yeah, two noteworthy games that were also in the contention last year that didn't end up winning of Control and Resident Evil 2. Yeah. Uh, both of those not winning kind of leads me to think of certain games not winning this year from the list. Like, I think Resident Evil 2 is a bad sign for uh, uh, Final Fantasy VII, and I feel like Control is probably not a great sign for probably Hades, just given that it's got that kind of like indie art style and plot to it. Like... Yeah. Though I can definitely see a world where Last of Us Part Two or Doom Eternal, but I think Last of Us Part Two might have gotten so much negative aspect to it, it got that a it's going to have a pull where it's not going to be like you know that overwhelming vote for one or two. Yeah, like yeah. again, I have no personal experience with Last of Us Two, but from what I've heard from the people who have played it, it wasn't great. I've got a lot of polarizing opinions from Last of Us Two, and that. Everyone I talked to about it either fucking loved it or fucking hated it, and it's just there's no one who has neutral feelings about mm. that game. Um, yeah. yeah. But all that said, I would like to see an indie game win Game of the Year for yeah, once. The, the game I probably, like, even just looking at this, the game I want to win the most is Hades, because I've also enjoyed that probably the most out of the games I've played on this list. But I think Ghost of Tsushima or Animal Crossing could be the one that probably takes it. Yeah. Um, I do think... Doom Eternal's not gonna fucking win. I think it will be high on the list, but I don't think it's gonna win. No, I think it's a little bit too kind of a Doom game, for lack of a better <laughs> term, to win. I think it's got too much of the fucking gore and action for it to appeal to a wide enough audience. That's fair. Um, for what's been going on in my life, I have been watching a lot of season two of The Mandalorian. 
that show... So, I'll be honest, the first couple episodes have been a little bit of a toss-up. Like, the first one was probably one of my favorite uh, of the season. Uh, second and third were a little bit lackluster, for lack of a better term. The last two episodes have actually been fucking phenomenal, if you ask me. Uh, and I don't want to get into too much plot, because I know you guys also are up to date and don't want to spoil it for you as well as our entire fucking audience. Uh, all I'll say is, from now on in, the show should specifically be referred to as the Grogu Show, and nothing else. Okay. And I'm not going to explain why. I'm just going to say after watching last week's episode, which came out a couple days ago, I'm only thinking of it as the Grogu show. That's fair. Just uh, answer me one thing. Is this related to them finally naming the race that Baby Yoda is? Or have they yet to name that race still? They have still yet to name the okay. race. I'm, I'm, honestly, I don't think they're ever going to name that race. Pro- yeah. Probably not, but one can hold out hope. Uh, I will say this much. Uh, Ahsoka Tano has appeared in... She appeared in the last episode. Yeah. Um, Rosario Dawson. Yep. Uh, I think Rosario was a fantastic cast. She played the role really well. Um, She even went on to talk about Master Yoda and about how the baby is clearly the same race without saying the name of the fucking race uh, to the point where she said she's only ever come in contact with one member of this species before. It was Master Yoda, an old Jedi uh, master. It's just like... They're clearly leaning into the whole not saying the name mm. of the race at this fucking point. Yeah. So, well, no... It's probably just no one knows the name of the race. Well, it's kind of like revealing the identity of the Joker. The appeal of it comes from not knowing. And it yeah. just yeah. kind of demystifies Yoda. Mm. Yeah. It, the moment you realize that he's like a fucking Trogdorian or something it's like that. Just a that, gremlin. Yeah. The moment you give him a name and, like, explain the planet he came from and start fleshing out his backstory and his race's backstory, the less interesting it becomes. Yeah, Gremlin from uh, Underground Caves of Tatooine. That's why Anakin had such a high metachlorian count. Oh, that's another great <laughs> Yoda's fucking... pissing in the water. <laughs> <laughs> that's another great fucking point about the show. Uh, they talk about the child, the baby Yoda, um, and... You hear at one point during the episode, they're talking about the child and about why the, uh, not the Sith, but the remnants of the Empire, why they want him so badly. And they refer to him as having a very high M count, which is them going just shy of saying the word <laughs> midichlorian, but knowing that if they actually say the word midichlorian out loud on a Star Wars show, they're going to immediately end the fucking show yep. and no one will watch it anymore. Oh my God. Which I fucking love that moment of them referring to him as having a high M count. (laughs) (laughs) So, should we uh, get into the story? Yes, we should probably get into what we're talking about today. A sequel to a previous game of the year. A A sequel, prequel. Prequel. A pre-sequel. A sidequel. Yeah, sidequel. A side prequel. An alternate universe sequel prequel. Yes. To a previous game of the year. Say so probably <laughs> the first half of the game being an actual prequel, and then the rest of it just sidetracking it into a kind of side story. <laughs> but that game being... <laughs> <laughs> this is like the Yoda situation all over again. Hyrule Warriors, Age of Calamity. The game that was touted to be the prequel to Legend of Zelda The Breath of the Wild. And largely did live up to that claim. Uh, kind of. Largely. Yeah, it was definitely like, I'll admit when I started playing it, the story itself 
I mean, Breath of the Wild story, I'm going to get hooked in anyways, oh, regardless yeah. of going on. Oh, absolutely. The gameplay I, was kind of like, eh, with some of the early levels, but I feel like it did a good job of like increasing the difficulty that mm. made sense in how to play the game. I, don't, I didn't play the first Hyrule Warrior, so I don't know, does the gameplay overlap a lot? Because I think you're the only one out of us that played it, Matt. Right, so uh, when you first get into a Hyrule Warriors game, the hard part is going to be getting your head around the controls and the combat. Yeah. But once you start to get a grasp of that, just everything comes out a lot clearer in how a game should be played. Yeah, because I played a lot of Dynasty Warriors, Samurai Warriors, and Warriors Orochi, so it had, like, I had an idea of what the gameplay would be like, but it's not even close to that. <laughs> yeah. It, it's similar in theme, I would almost say, like gameplay theme, less so than story theme. Yeah. To the Dynasty Warriors, and then it's like the one versus a hundred kind of battle situations, but... It's not actually very close to any of those yeah. games, actually, gameplay-wise. Yeah. yeah, each of the different heroes that you get to play as in this game obviously have their own kinds of moves and skill sets. Yeah. And each one will shine in different situations. It's like, uh, for one thing, I remember early in the game, you get the game hint that enemies have their own weak points, so if you can hit those points, try to hit them for more damage. Yeah, or just start breaking their barrier or shield. Yeah. So, like, uh, for instance, just the moblins that you come around all over the place, their head is the weak point, but you can't hit them when you're standing on the ground. Yeah. So Link has three different moves in his combos that you can do that'll put him into the air, where you can actually hit his head and do a lot more damage to their weak point gauge that yeah. you need to break to do massive damage to the enemies. Yeah. So, and I think uh, for his uh, like sword and shield combo, he gets the bow for his ability, yes. which also makes it a lot easier to hit the weak spots. Yeah. Yeah. Which is uh, why, when going into a Hyrule Warriors game, I'd always recommend, for your first time through the game, just focus on going through the story, hitting the recommended level for the mission types that you're going to, and when you're able to turn in materials and things for other side quests, do that when you're able to, but just otherwise focus on going through the story your first time. And for most of the missions you're going to have Link as a playable character. I'd say stick with Link because he's the most versatile character just because of his moveset. Yeah, I definitely found that too. Like, Link just was the easiest character to control and solve almost any problem yeah, that came yeah. up. And like, Kinox's, the the giant ogre things with the one eyeball, they're so freaking annoying to deal with until you realize, oh, just back up a little bit with Link, shoot off some arrows at his eye, it'll stagger him so you can just smack him a few times in his eyeball. Yep. Yeah. Makes those fights incredibly trivial. Uh, so with the game, yeah, you start off, it's as I said, the part that kind of makes it the prequel to Breath of the Wild is the fact that this is the war that happened 100 yeah. years prior to Link waking this up shows, in the Resurrection Chamber. Yeah. This shows the events of the calamity happening in Fall of Hyrule. Kind of. Kind of. Yes. <laughs> so it starts off with a cutscene of Calamity Ganon already out and raining havoc all over Hyrule and the castle falling. So you're kind of thinking, is it showing us what's going to happen at the end of the game already as a kind of, uh, we're going to get to this point? But then it shows a little bit in Zelda's study, a strange little guardian breaks out of a box and kind of opens up a portal and disappears through it. And this isn't the first time we've seen Sheikah technology use oh, some yeah. sort of time or dimension. It's just you know, the first time we've seen this particular little thing. Yeah, which... So we find out that this is Terrico, and Zelda built it as a child with her mother, 
Can we just talk about the fact that Loki, Zelda at age, what, five or six, built a robot yeah. that can time travel? I'm going to assume that most of it was her mother instructing her on how to build it. Could be. And we, she just put the final pieces together when she had a handle of how to think, do yeah. things. And I guess we don't get a lot on Zelda's mother in Breath of the Wild, yeah. specifically we, because yeah. we, we get, get half a second of a glimpse of her lower body yeah, as Zelda like, turns around and then fades thing, black. Like, we know that she was good friends with her bo- uh, Arbosa. So was she maybe like a uh, Gerudo or was she a Sheikah? Like, is there something else going on? Because I feel like she's tied to one of those two, whether she's uh, could be that like group or something else. But I think she's not Helion, which mm-hmm. I guess is also because technically she would also be Zelda. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, that's another thing that's stated: princesses are always named Zelda. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that's which another... I guess also implies that the bloodline goes through the female, not the male. So yeah, yes. That's a neat fun fact. King Rowan would have been married into the family. Well, no, because he, he his mother, or Zelda's mother, wasn't a Zelda. So it's quite possible that even if like, the daughters are always Zelda, the, the, males, the male could be born that still has to carry the bloodline if a female isn't yeah, born. Yeah, they can still generation. be born into the family and continue the family. It's just the females that are born have the blood of the goddess oh. within their veins. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, that whole little cutscene that you get near the end where little Zelda is putting together Terrico, it kind of gives you the sense that that's the last thing she has as a sort of connection to her mother. Since her mother is gone, she had, we have no idea what happened to her. Yeah. Yeah. And which is why she seems so attached to it throughout the rest of the game. Yeah. So yeah, uh, Clarity again and assaulting the castle and yeah. Taroko so, jumps... Into the, the past. Yeah. Well, we don't find out it's the past right now. We find out eventually it's the past. In a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah, he pretty much goes back to the point where it's the kind of just it's, before, it's uh, the before Link and Zelda meet. No, they've met. Link's already assigned to uh, Zelda as her bodyguard, but it's not known that he's going to be the hero to wield the Master Sword. Which, yeah. uh, it's kind of a fun, like... Story plot to put in for everyone, because like, everyone's played like Legends of the Game to this point. Yeah. You know, the guy that looks like that is probably the hero, so everyone's like, Man, I wish we could find this person who's supposed to wield the Master Sword yeah. to stop the There's I... even one cutscene where, uh. Oh. Daruk. There's one cutscene where Daruk just takes this sidelong glance at Link when they're discussing who the hero could be, and he's like, Oh. Yeah, him and me are yeah. like, Hmm. <laughs> I love how you get to the plot point where. You're tasked, uh, essentially you and the Guardians are tasked with tracking down who will wield the Master Sword. It's just like, I wonder who it will be! <laughs> yeah, because you end up, the first mission ends up happening with the Battle of Hyrule Field. Yeah, because uh, we know that the Calamity is coming, we don't yeah, know when yet. It's been prophesized yet. to happen, and uh, King Rome knows quite a ways back, because he knew when she was that young that, oh, it's been foretold. It'll be happening soon, we don't know exactly when, but soon. Yeah, they find us during her 70th birthday? Yeah, they yeah. find us during the course of the game. But um, all we know right now is that the time is getting close and monsters are getting more active. Yeah. So they assume it's getting really close and that's why King Rome has been very... Nope. Machines are stupid. You focus on magic. Yeah. yeah. Because You Zelda learn has... your sealing magic. It's our only fucking hope. Yeah. Because she has yet to awaken her powers. Yeah. And uh, that means the kingdom is doomed. Yeah. yeah. Also, I think this might be the best version of Zelda we've gotten in any of the games. Oh, yeah. Well, that's... 
You well, haunt fucking hard because most of the time Zelda's just the fucking yeah, damsel like, in distress. Like, if, of course, there's like outliers where she was more active in the plot, but mm-hmm. I think like this is just probably like, the most yeah the character developed Zelda. Yeah, we got in Ocarina of Time, we got the Princess Zelda. She is just the princess. Yeah, and then we got Sheik, and that's just some mysterious tomboy who likes to hang out with us. We but got, he's so dreamy. Oh, he's very handsome. And in Twilight Princess, we got a few <laughs> small cutscenes of Zelda. Who was actually a warrior, but she had to put down her sword and surrender yeah. to save her people. Which is weird because to me that's that's Queen Zelda. Yeah, that but she's always Princess Zelda. Like that was the queen. Yeah. yeah. It's always weird to think of the fact that Princess Zelda at one point will be Queen Zelda. Well, we've seen her as Queen Zelda, but for some reason yeah. she's always Princess Zelda. Yeah. But this one's like definitely like a lot more interesting as a character and a lot more mm-hmm. like because yeah. Zelda always feels like even in the ones where she's a bit more ground, it seems a bit like. A figure that's non-existent. They yeah. know everything that's kind of happened in a sense. Yeah. And they're very... I guess the issue is they're always very wise. Mm. And that's kind of their thing. But it's the Triforce of Knowledge. And this one's the one I feel like fits the best to the Triforce of Knowledge. Yeah. It, it is the Triforce of Wisdom. That was Knowledge. No, it's Wisdom. It's Power, Courage, and Wisdom. And, uh... Which kind of makes sense because... Well, Zelda's character anyway. I guess Knowledge and, is Power. Yes. But, uh... As we, learn, that. as we learn when Zelda is approaching her 17th birthday and is going to take her trip to the Spring of Wisdom, yeah. because uh, you're not permitted up on the mountain until you have the namesake of that spring. So it's kind of alluded to that since she's not 17, she doesn't yet have the wisdom needed for her power. Makes sense. But, uh... Yeah, so going back to that fight in the field, they come across Terrico. He's just kind of lying there, just so cold. And then he starts following them around, activates a Sheikah Tower yeah. somehow. And this is where we also meet Impa, which is probably my favorite part of this game, having Impa be active in it. And yeah, just yeah. Sitting... <laughs> she's not an old woman, and uh, yeah, she's a ninja. Yeah, yeah. Now, there's one thing I... Well, Sheikah are ninjas, but... Oh, true. Uh, there's one thing I'm not entirely sure on, and I don't know if you guys remember this better than I do, but the towers don't get uh, activated in, in Breath of the Wild for the first time until after you wake up and activate them, correct? Correct. Yes. So this is where a deviation happens that you might not notice, but the towers get activated now by Terrico. Yeah. Well, in Breath of the Wild, all of the towers got, I guess, in a sense, woken up, awakened, when you first interacted with the one tower on the wow. Great Plateau. All of the towers rose out of the ground, which is the same thing that happened... Here. Yeah, but it's implied that, especially as we get further in the storm, we find out how it deviates. Oh, yeah. The towers were never activated at this point historically in this world. True. Because the, the towers tend to be one right. of the things that actually allow them to change history. Because this is what happened in this game. Things go very differently from yeah. how mm-hmm. out of your war. This it's is why I refer all... to this one as a sequel, because of the fact that Drogo going back in time and creating a separate storyline makes it less of a yeah. prequel. To all me. because Terrico is here and active. But things could have still played out this exact same way yeah, no, that's up until I, a point, and still everything would have turned yeah, out. Yeah, because uh, when I was first playing, I think it's until about chapter four, I was like, well, this is just the story unfolding as it naturally yeah. did yeah. for these characters, which means all those cutscenes we saw in Breath of the Wild, the reason we didn't see Terrico is because all the cutscenes are actually above their knees, and that's why we never saw them. And I'm not kidding, go back and watch cutscenes, you never see below their knees in the cutscenes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Terrico could have easily been written off. Uh, Ayanuma wrote this story as well as that one. Maybe he was planning. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he meets up by the towers get activated. So this is where sort of the deviations kind of start happening. 
And they start becoming more prominent, and up to this point, I was like, well, this is what how it happened. But I guess the well, way to look at it is... Kind of deviating, but not really. Because... Yeah, I just assume that just remove Terrico, and that's pro So if he directly mm-hmm. does something, that never happened. Yeah. They and by getting in a fight with uh, Terrico, never happens. Yeah. They ne- they knew about the Sheikah Towers. They could never activate them, though. Yeah. And uh, Zelda, again, still went around researching all this ancient Sheikah technology, yeah. like she is doing now. Yeah. And the she- shrines as well. We yeah. saw that in the cutscenes, too. Except she didn't have Terrico before. Yeah. But it's alluded to in this game that she's always had Terrico. It's just, this is the time where Terrico woke up during the Calamity and went back in time. Exactly. Which I'll talk about later when we actually get there. Oh, boy, do I have some stuff to talk about. So, uh... Yeah, so that's the first mission. Then the second mission is you go to the research facility. Yeah, you go to the research facility to figure out what the heck this guy is. Yeah. Yeah. And then after that, it's kind of, well, we gotta get the four champions to be in charge of the guardians and it's yeah, kind of yeah. just missions of well i'm getting these guys to yeah. work with me. go to the, each of the four places to uh get the pilots to pilot the divine beasts and uh i kind of did them in a reverse order i did in breath of the wilds my first one this time was mifa and my last time the, and my last one this time was urbosa whereas the opposite back in uh, breath of the wild kind of sounds like this time you actually followed my order for the first time in Breath of the Wild. Yeah. Because in Breath of the Wild, I started with Mifa and ended with Urbosa. I did uh, from right to left going around in the circle. So Mifa, uh, Daruk, Rivali, yeah. and Urbosa. Yeah, that's the order I, I, I kind of, in. Yeah, I kind of followed a bit of logic this time, where if I get water, it'll be more effective against the fire. If I get fire, it'll be more effective against so the I actually, ice and I, the I wind. Did, I did Daruk, Mifa, Rivali, Urbosa. <laughs> okay. Yeah, for this version. Yeah, so you do that. But then you get the added benefit, and well, it was quite surprising the first time it happened. After you get those uh, pilots on board, you get to control the Divine Beast. Which is probably yeah. one of my favorite parts in this game. It's freaking awesome. super fucking badass. My least favorite Divine Beast to control is Daruk's one, Va Rudania. The Salamander boy? Yeah. But uh, still, they're all really fun to use. Yeah. Uh, my favorite one is Rivali's. Yes. Oh, the fucking bird. Yes. yes. Aerial bombardment for days. <laughs> yeah. Especially, uh, there's a mission later on when uh, you're outside Hyrule Castle and like they're they're all swarmed around. And it's like, well, we gotta take out all these outposts. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And then uh, Vonaboris, the big desert camel, is also fun because you get to just stampede through enemies and rain lightning down. All yeah, my big thing is I rush and then I use the charge attack. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the story unfolds very much the way you think it does. It's Zelda. Dealing with the fact that she's unable to use her sealing magic, and everyone else is kind of like doing the stuff. So it's really this story kind of mainly focuses on Zelda, not so much Link. Yeah, it mm. almost feels like Link is a side character who's there for you to play as, but not to be involved with the plot. Which, at the same time, I guess is the natural outcome because we're still at the point where Link doesn't talk, and I don't think they're planning on doing that. Mm. So it's kind of hard to tell a narrative through a character like that. Breath yeah. of the Wild works because all the dialogue is especially happening, you know, like image wise through like symbols and like reactions. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, it's that very idea of being alone in the wild, where this game has to do, you know, the dialogue cutscenes. Yeah, but that so. ac- that aspect is also touched on in uh, Zelda's Diary, which you come across in Breath of the Wild. On yeah. why he doesn't talk much. Yeah. But, but uh, still, like, that's because they're actively making the choice of not having them talk in oh, the yeah. games regardless of the reason. Zelda, for this type of game, has to kind of go to the forefront. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
which could be why also I feel that she's probably the best Zelda we've had or character development. She's definitely the most developed Zelda. Yes. So uh, after getting the uh, all the champions together and the pilots, so then we get into some shenanigans with the Yiga clan, which are people who were once part of the Sheikah clan, but defected because they kind of opposed the way that the Hyrule family ran things. Yes, yeah. and like always, Koga is just a wonderful piece of shit. Yeah. I enjoy all effort. He's the top banana yeah. of the Yiga clan. Yeah. And then because they realized they had to have a menacing force in this state, they made Suga. The actually capable member of the Yiga clan. Yeah. And they kind of show up as early as the Urbosa mission because they try to kill Zelda right off the bat. Yeah, they are impersonating all of the Gerudo and trying to fight and kill Zelda and the Hyrulean forces. Yeah, but then they become a more like big fashion that you actually kind of wipe out later on in the game. Yeah. And all the while we find out that there's this figure in the background, uh, Astor, who has... I'm not sure what the item is, but it seems to project constellations on them to see the future. When it's com- put in close with the Harbinger... Which is something that looks a lot like Terrico, but is all black and full of corruption. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he he seems to be the one most desire yes. <clears throat> desiring to actually bring about Calamity Game. Yeah. Yeah. He call or he's referred to at this point as the seer. Yeah. Who brings about the calamity. Yeah. I guess fulfilling Calamity Ganon's wishes. Very reminiscent of the pseudo henchmen of Ganondorf or Ganon for most games where it's about his resurrection. Yeah. yeah. He's the pawn who's here to do stuff and ends up getting a little too big for his britches and gets killed at the end. Yeah. Yeah. He, honestly, to me, he really reminded me, not so much character-wise, but plot piece-wise, if you've played through Link Between Worlds, yeah. he reminded me a lot of Yuga and that he just kind of wants to resurrect Ganon so that he can take his power for himself. He reminded me a lot of that kind of yeah. character. The only difference is that Astro doesn't seem to want Ganon's power. He wants. He feels like he's been chosen and he's special. Yeah. So he wants to do whatever he can to empower yeah, Ganon. And he, I guess he kind of sees himself as Ganon's right-hand man. Yeah. And then he finally dies when he decides to demand Calamity Ganon do something. Yeah. yeah. The moment his, he gets a little bit big for his britches, he immediately gets killed off. Yeah. So we find out that he is kind of pulling the strings in the background. Now, an interesting thing to mention is in uh, Breath of the Wild, one of the big debates is in the story we're told that a seer had told the king of Calamity Ganon coming and that they needed to find the divine beasts and the guardians and bring them back because that's going to be needed for when Ganon comes back. Mm. And funny enough, it's mentioned that the spelling in Japanese specifically of when they mentioned the seer in the book, uh, Making a Champion, and how it's written in this game match up identically for Aster when he's referred to as the Seer. Okay. So the idea is that Owen said if the Seer was that, you know, knowledgeable of Calamity Ganon, you would think he would say, don't look for these mechanical things, he's going to win. And it's implied that this man actually got uh, the Harbinger much earlier and used it to see Calamity Ganon's coming and actually told the king that he needed to unearth these so that it would guarantee the fall of the kingdom. That makes sense, because yeah. later on you learn that the Harbinger is Terrico. Yeah. He's just from that time period, but he was already corrupted by the Calamity. Yeah, he was corrupted when the Calamity came, and then he had all that information, and he ended up going back in time, and ended up with Astor, hmm. who is the seer, who then... it's no. Again, this isn't confirmed, but this is the idea that he got access to Terrico's memory through the device he has. No. The, uh, the corrupted Terrico that Astor has didn't come back in time. That's the one that was already in Zelda's study. No, but he would have had to go back in order for Aster to get him. 
No. He's like, Aster just got him from Zelda's study because Zelda forgot about Terrico. But when did he get corrupted? Didn't you see when uh, Terrico came through the portal from yeah, the Yeah, a little past bit of calamity Ganon followed through. Some calamities, Malice came through the portal after him, chasing him. But, well, I don't think it specifically says how he gets Terrico uh, in that sense, but for this to work, Terrico would have had to have been corrupted by the calamity and also have the memories of the future in order for him to see the future through him using the device. Because he doesn't actually have seer powers. He, if you notice, he only ever gets visions of the future when he holds it close to Terrico, mm. the dark one. So that one, it could be something where they have, like, I don't know, Terrico Wi-Fi that connects them, so they both have, like, a link that allows them to share their memories or something like that, but or there's nothing the, definitively told, unfortunately. If it is, in fact, the calamity, or if it's as me and Matt are interpreting it, at least, that the calamity that came through the portal is what infected... Because the portal uh, opened up in the same place, except in the past. Yes. So, so as since Terrico, Terrico came through... And, and fell out of the sky... Terrico was no longer there in the sky for that malice to infect, so it went to the nearest thing, which was Terrico, just a couple feet off to the side, still in Zelda's study. Yeah, now I do have some opinions on some things here, which go about that a bit differently. I'll address that when we get mm-hmm. to finish telling the story, because i got some things to explain yeah. to that. But regardless, if it, if it in, uh, happens that way, which is how I interpreted it as happening, then it could be that uh, Aster isn't getting his information from Terrico's memories, but from the calamity that is inside of Terrico itself could have a mm. way of passing on those memories through the gemstone. That's true. Uh, which could then lead yeah, to... because the calamity is from the future. Yeah. Uh, which would then lead to him coming to the opinion of he has to raise the Divine Beasts so that the calamity can take them over and use them to help take over the Hyrule? The world? I, I'm unclear on what his goals are. Pretty sure the world is just Hyrule, except for that one continent we never talk about. Yeah. So then we get to the big point, uh, part of the game where obviously Ganon gets released. Yes. Mm-hmm. The Calamity shows up, it's her birthday. And this is where things very clearly are different from what's going on because Zelda's not at the pool or with the other champions. They're actually all, se- uh, all separated at this time, which isn't what happened in the history of Breath of the Wild. And on top of that, Terrico shows up with pictures of, oh no, the Guardians. And then Zelda and Link are actually in the castle when everything goes down. Yeah. Uh, which leads to even bigger plot developments. Because now you have to race out to help save people from the blights that are trying to take over the champions and their divine beasts. Well, th- that's all how it happened in the past. Anyway, well, what, what the bigger difference yeah. is what comes right what after. What didn't as you happen is uh, after Zelda and Link get out of the castle, what happens with Terrico, since Terrico wasn't there before. Yeah, I believe how it's explained in Breath of the Wild is... Because everyone was there together, and they said, okay, you guys go to your beasts, we're going to rush to the castle to fight. And when they got to their divine beasts, there was a trap waiting for them with the, the uh... uh there, there, the, there wasn't... The weight race? No, oh, there, the there wasn't a trap. The uh, divine beasts got infected when the pilots were piloting them. It's just, they were overcome by the blights yeah. in fight. There wasn't yeah. a trap or anything. Yeah. So, I guess it, the scene's kind of play out as we should expect, up until the moment where... The Terrible. corresponding character from the future shows up to save yeah. them. Yeah. The it, ones who you helped fight in Breath of the Wild are now here yeah. in Age of Calamity to yeah. help. So we yeah. get adult side on. We also got child side on a bit earlier, and that was pretty good because he, he was just yeah. Face, sparkle teeth. Yeah. Facing off against a full size Lionel with yeah. nothing but a spear that's way too big for his tiny yeah. little yeah. body. Yeah. So fucking the, adorable. We get the corresponding ancestors or the person who like carried on their will essentially yeah. years later. 
who show up to each of their individual fights to save them and hold on just long enough for Link to show up. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so that's another major difference is yeah, the in this one, the Blights don't actually take over the Divine Beast. They're still on your side. Well, the Blights wouldn't take over the Divine Beasts until the heroes are killed anyway. Yeah. But that's what I mean. Is yeah. You don't, the heroes don't die, so the Blights don't so, take over. And I guess everything was, the, everything was the same and could have came out the same until that point where Zelda and Link fled from Hyrule Castle. Because after that, we get Link and Zelda fleeing from Guardians in Breath of the Wild. Link gets badly injured and then he's taken to the Shrine of Resurrection. And Breath of the Wild happens 100 years later. Yeah. This game... Terrico sings a little Zelda's lullaby to Zelda, soothes her crying, and uh, calls the four uh, part or the four uh, descendants, descendants or what have you from the champions to aid them in battle against their blights and their respective guardians. Yeah, but this is uh, really cool scenes. Honestly, my oh, favorite yeah. one is still Sidon showing up to save Nifa. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> but like. I kind of assumed something like this was going to happen. I was doing the uh, the mission before that one, though, because this was the higher level mission with Mifa in it. Yeah. And I saw what happened in this one. I'm like, ooh, I was going to go to bed, but I got to see the reunion of Sidon yeah. and Mifa. Also, I think the, like these two missions where it's because you save Daruk and Mifa together and you save uh, Rivali and Urbosa together. And these are probably individually the two longest missions in the game. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, they uh, end up getting called forth by Terrico's power. And they're aware of what happened. And at the end of the game, after you save the day, they go back as well. And I'm pretty sure these are from the Breath of the Wild timeline that you yes. played through. So it's kind of a sad end for them. They see the future that they could have had, but they got to go back to their yeah, one. They're, they're not going to experience what they save. And you kind of get a feeling from that because, uh, just to skip ahead to the end, when Mifa and Sidon are having their, fa- their farewell, and she's like, I'm sure we'll meet again. And you see that look on his face, like, And then oh. he says, like, you're always going to be in my heart. Yeah, it's like, oh man, I feel sad for Sidon's death. Yeah. It's like, oh. Sidon got to see Mifa for such a short time, and now he knows he's never going to see her again. Oh. Uh, I feel like it's probably a good time to ask this question, though, but the game kind of gives you the chance to use up the four characters of your choice. I'm assuming all of us used Link. Yeah. yeah. Who are the other three characters you kind of focused on? Um... I kept Zelda in just because, since she was in most of my missions, she was also my second highest level character, and Impa also. Yeah, I used those three, and who was your fourth? Mine was Rivale. Mine was Mifa. I was Mifa too. I just Just love fucking Rivale. Rivale's movesets are amazing. Oh yeah, especially just going to the air and just... It's pretty much like playing as Divine Beast. Yeah, yeah. I fucking really enjoyed playing Rivali. I was like, but, yeah, as soon as I unlocked him, I was like, yeah, you're now part of my regular uh, rotation. Uh, just Mifa's moves clicked for me a lot easier, though. Yeah, well, I, even in, like, Samurai Warriors and uh, uh, Dynasty Warriors, the spear characters always are my favorite ones, mm. so Mifa just worked as well. Although I didn't care for Sidon that much. Oh, I mean, he was fine, but he just seemed slower, which makes sense, because, yeah, he's bigger. He's more power than speed, where Mifa was more of a He dual-wields spears. Yeah. And he's a badass shark. is what he yeah. is. Dill wields spears and rides a shark. Yeah, water shark specifically. Yes. So, after you get everyone saved, then it's the fort, uh, was it Akala and Hateno fights? Yes. Which, uh, it's cool to see Akala Citadel at, in, like, its full glory, and also the towns around it. The one that was the most impressive to me, like, I, I was like, didn't, I didn't even think about it being in the game, but of course it would be the, Citadel, uh, the uh, 
The Great Plateau. The Great Plateau. Yeah. Because yeah. seeing that and like how it was built up, I was like, oh man, like I knew exactly like where all the stuff mm. is and where everything is. That's where I gotta go fight the giant stone monster. And it's great because you're teleported up into the Shrine of Resurrection. Well, and you walk out on the plateau there. I know, like, like it's, it's the same view. Yeah, was, like that was seen was like probably that was the best part for me. Like just the memory, like, oh man, I want to play Breath of the Wild again when I did that. Because like we're gonna teleport you to the Shrine oh, yeah. of Resurrection. There were <laughs> so many points through this game where I'm like, man, this place is exactly like how it was in Breath of the Wild. It I'm was, having massive nostalgia trips. Yeah. It was absolutely one of those things, uh, teleporting to the Shrine of Resurrection and walking out. They did that on purpose, too. Where you know, I, like, we can't have them walk the wrong way out of the Breath of the Yeah. Re- yeah. <laughs> where it fucking happened, and, like, before it happened, I was like, if I had to list, like, major battles that would have happened while you were there, fucking Great Plateau would not have even, like, yeah. come to mind mm-hmm. of something that I would be fighting. And then it fucking happened, I was like, oh, fuck yeah! I just... I am probably gonna go start a <laughs> fucking Breath of the Wild playthrough yeah, after this. And then you end up uh, having Koga join your side as well. Yeah. Yep. Also, it's cool how they do the resurrection of Zelda's powers here too, because it also happens at Fort Tano, like it does in the original version. But it's Link staying behind because Aster had summoned the four Blights back using the Yiga people. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so we should address that because it. Uh, it causes some more differences in that yeah, once Ast- Aster's plan is kind of fucked over by you defeating the Blights, he comes up with the brilliant plan of sacrificing a bunch of fucking Yiga people to try and bring back the yeah, Blights. Yeah, to be fair, I think been... this can still happen in the Breath of the Wild history. Yeah, because, uh, and you kind of get that in uh, how when he does the blood sacrifice, he kind of summons the Blood Moon as a kind of thing that can happen. But, uh... Yeah, so he's pulling the strings of the Yiga clan from behind the shadows, and Master Koga and his uh, henchman, his main henchman, Suga, Suga, See, are kind of hesitant to work for him, but they're still working towards the resurrection of Calamity, Calamity Ganon. There's two reasons why I don't think it played out this way in the original storyline. Uh, the first one being that the main reason he goes about sacrificing the Yiga clan is because of the fact that the Blights were defeated. And this is more of a backup plan. Uh, and the second reason I don't think it happened is because after this happens, the Yiga clan kind of are like, oh, wait, that guy's a dick. And, like, come back to try and work with you yeah. and work with King Rome. So mm-hmm. I think it's entirely possible that he sacrificed a bunch of people to bring out Calamity Ganon's full power. I just think it happened after the Blight successfully took over the Divine Beasts and killed the champions. And then he probably sacrificed a bunch of fucking Hylians who perhaps mm. lived in the castle. I mean, I could see him doing the Ega too, because we have to address what happened to Suga, I guess. Yeah. Because I feel like the conflict... Because Suga clearly had a lot of disdain for Aster. I can see Suga and Aster having a fight mm-hmm. where Aster ends up killing him. Yeah. Um, I just don't think he sacrificed all the Ega because there's too many things that don't make sense in Breath of the Wild. Uh, at least to me, if he also sacrificed a bunch of the fucking Ega yeah. clan. Uh before the events. Yeah. But Koga ends up after having that fight with Aster where presumably Suga dies. We don't see him again after this. Yep. And he says, I will fight for the death for you. And make sure you get it alive. Uh, but Koga ends up going to Princess Zelda and joining was, the side. That was a pretty, that was a pretty cool cutscene also. There's this, just a lone Hyrulean knight leading Zelda and Link into the woods. And Zelda's like, so you wanted to talk to me about something? I think it's uh, Impa and Zelda. Because Link's not there in the cutscene. Right, yeah. Impa and Zelda. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, the knight just turns, smirks, and then just leaps 50 feet into the air. And you're like, Yiga clan. <laughs> now, I, I should mention, there's two bonus characters you can lock up at this point, which is the uh, sage yep. and the great fairies. Did you get both of those? 
I did not unlock the Great Fairy yet. I yep. think I have one more Great Fairy mission. Yeah, you have to pay for the first one in the desert, which mm-hmm. is like 9,000 9, rupees or something like that. Yeah. And then you have to do three or four missions where you fight each of them individually and beat them. Mm-hmm. And then you unlock the Great Fairy as a playable character. <laughs> yeah, I have one more Great Fairy mission to do to unlock her. And then for the Sage, you have to uh, also do a, a get altar thing where you have to give resources. Yeah, there's three, three different kind of collection missions. Yeah, collection and then you do another challenge which is like just straight up a challenge a trial of combat from breath of the wild yeah yeah in fact it's i i might be wrong but isn't this also the sage that you have to fight in the dlc it might be yeah it probably is they all have weird names (laughs) uh but essentially uh, at this point all the forces are rallied you have all four species so the gerudo the uh, rito the Zora and the uh, Gorons, as well as now the Yiga who have joined your team, and the remnants of the Helians, because King Rome actually escaped the yes. castle and went yeah. to the Grand Plateau, which I wonder if this also happened in the Breath of the Wild thing, because would that be why his spirit was tied there? I he escaped and so. kind of just lived out his life and died there, and that might be that he's also the one who raised the Great Plateau to keep it safe with the resurrection. Probably. That's what I'm guessing. Yeah, I do think that is one of the things that played out the same. Yeah, I think he escaped the castle when Zelda ran off to the castle, essentially, to seal Ganon for that period. And then he, after seeing everything happen, kind of blamed himself for it. Mm-hmm. I think he decided he would be the guardian of the Resurrection Shrine until Link got up. And that's yeah. why we meet him in his uh, sage or hermit get-up. His, his, yeah, his uh, worn traveler. Which, gameplay-wise in this game, his ability as he switches between the both of them, yeah. which I find a little weird. It's, it's weird unless you read the little details between the story things, yeah. or for the story things that you turn in to increase their combos and their hearts. Yeah. Because you learn that, very frequently, King Rome Boss Faramis Hyrule goes out into the woods and just chops firewood all night into the early hours of the morning just to hone his strength. I mean, his name is literally King Rome. Of course he's going to wander around and just do fucking weird <laughs> shit sometimes. That's a good point. <laughs> Thank you, I thought Peter. Matt was about the puns. Thank you, Peter. You're welcome, Matt. <laughs> I hate myself. But yeah, that kind of explains why he does that. And my first time playing as Rome, I was a little thrown off by it. But once I get got a knack of his ability, it was actually kind of fun and enjoyable. Yeah, there's a few characters that are kind of unintuitive of how to play until you've got a few games in with them. Yeah. And yeah. then they just make a lot more sense. Like, my first time playing Impa, I was like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah, because Impa, it revolves around you getting the seals and absorbing them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, another fun thing about this, too, is... So we go into the final mission here, which is... It's two missions specifically. It's the Hyrule Field fight again, where you rush the castle. This is where the Blood Moon comes out. And then the mm-hmm. second one, where you're in the castle and you're storming up to the top. These two together is probably, like... My favorite missions in the game, mm. which, to be fair, the Warriors games don't have a historical context of having really fun final missions, but this one they did perfectly, and I just, it was so fun, especially where you have the two groups scaling the castle at the same time, yeah, fighting yeah. the different uh, blights. It just worked out so well. Yeah. And there were parts of that fight where you're scared, or running up walkways in the castle, and there's guardians approaching, and then divine beasts from the distance are just nailing them. Yeah. And then, uh, when you get to almost the top, this is where you kind of fight Aster for the last time, where you encounter him, and you find out that Harbinger Terrico is also Harbinger Ganon. Yeah. Because uh, apparently this is Ganon's, like, puppet form uh, for this part of the 
fight. And this is where Aster ends up, you know, demanding, oh, consume them. And then he gets killed. And then we get evil Terrico, who we see his light flashing and he shoots a laser beam at her. And I was like, oh no, he's going to turn into the thing too. We're going to fight him. But no, he's just still tiny robot. The puzzle, like, it's like uh, a like little some, knife and a little, little axe. axe. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to stab you. And it's like, oh, okay, is this going to be a cutscene resolve thing? Do I have to like, you know, fight the harbinger and not really hurt him? And then also, he disappears like, defeat the corrupted uh, guardian. I'm like, this fight doesn't seem right. Like, also, not because I don't want to hurt Terrico, but because like, he's so tiny. Yeah. And also... Just that cutscene where he got corrupted. It's like the whole terrible thing of all of a sudden Calamity Ganon is resurrected. It's like, oh no, but right in front of him. Terrico, you're in trouble! And that's where all of the focus is. Yeah. yeah. And Terrico dies and we have that sad scene. You go up to the top floor and in the chamber you fight Ganon, which I like that they actually did full form Ganon for this mm-hmm. one. They could have easily just taken the sprite from, you know what we saw before, but he shouldn't be in that form because he was never sealed. Right. Yeah. So seeing him in full, like, muscle form of, like, you know, standing 15 feet tall. Oh, hulking man. Yeah. And especially when the fight starts, like, we can't hurt him. Like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what am I going to do? Something's going to happen, but how long do I have to hold out? <laughs> and then Jericho resurrects himself and starts humming Zelda's lullaby as he just <laughs> headbutts in the game. <laughs> yeah. No, it's like... He's like, oh no, I'm gonna blow up. Let me do something useful in my yeah. final moments. Yeah, so that's what weakens him, and then you do the boss fight with you and your four selected characters, which was oddly satisfying, I must say. Because usually you're so used to when you're fighting Ganon, it's just you versus Ganon. But having, like, you know, these characters that you kind of build up to this point in the room with you fighting him oh, yeah. was yeah. just like, this is pretty great. And I loved, I brought in Rome for this, and it, it was just fantastic. It's just one of those things where, like, in every fucking Zelda game up until this point, like, it's fate of the universe shit on the line, and everyone's always just like, you're Link. Oh, like, it makes sense, because he's the one with the Triforce of Courage. He's the one who wields the Sword uh, of Evil's Banner, or whatever you want to call it. Depends the, on the game. Depending mm-hmm. on the game. Um, like, there are lots of reasons why he's the only one who can fight Ganondorf. It just, or Ganon, I don't know why. Both. Uh, it just feels really good for it wants everyone to be like, Oh no, this is a problem. Let's just fucking gang up on him. Just throw as many weapons at him as yeah. possible. Yeah. See what lit hits. The only thing I would have wished they could have done a bit differently was obviously the Divine Beast had a big part with breaking into the castle, mm. but having them like everything you've done or even the characters in some way all take part in the final fight could have been cool. Yeah. But I think this also exemplifies that Calamity Ganon also kind of feels like the most threatening Ganon we've had in the games as well. Yeah. yeah. So having like, oh, this isn't just a link problem. Everyone's gonna pitch in for this one. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, he's a freaking monstrosity. And I guess a good thing about him being an actual monstrosity and not just a person is because when you finally get the final button prompt to seal him and trigger all the final cutscenes, you freaking bisect him yeah. from shoulder all the way down. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god, was that satisfying. <laughs> I thought they were going to do the Wind Waker thing where he just kind of like lodges the sword to his head and leaves him there in this pit underneath the castle. It's like, I like when it, the button prompt came up, like, all right, do the finisher move. Seal. Link puts away the sword and pulls out a bow and shits him. That's only for aerial combat. It's only for the Guardians. Jesus. Uh, on top of that, though, uh, the game does kind of do the credits here and run after everyone says goodbye and the future characters go back to their time. Mm-hmm. And you know, this new brave future that we don't know what's going to happen without the 100 years. And then... Uh, afterwards, if you go back in the game, you get new missions where you can actually rebuild Terrico. I don't think any of us have completed this yet. Not yet. So I don't know if there's a cutscene involving that, but it's a nice little touch at the end. Yeah. It'll, there might be a cutscene, and 
he's definitely unlockable as another playable character. Yeah. Uh, I did do a bit of reading. There is a cutscene. I don't know the contents of the cutscene, but there's absolutely a cutscene. Okay, definitely going to have to work towards that then. Yeah, that's, I think it's the big endgame mission. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, there's something, now that we've gone through the story, there's something I want to touch on, which is where this game kind of deviates. I, I think a lot of people might just write it off as like saying, well, Terrico is obviously a spin-off character. He's not part of the thing, so it doesn't matter. But... The Legend of Zelda universe, because of Ocarina of Time, has already established very solid rules on how time travel works, mm. and I feel like this game is canon, especially where Oh, Oinuma, this, they have explicitly come out and stated that yeah. this game and is canon. The story's done by Ainuma, and I believe Matt mentioned uh, earlier, maybe not in this recording, but when we were just talking, that I feel like they're trying to open up the universe a bit. Yeah. So they're not... I feel like they're re-Ocarina of Timing, and they... So, Ocarina of Time happened, they split the timeline into three separate timelines... Uh, so they could put stories wherever they want. And then they had fucking Age of Calamity, and they're like, far enough in the future, all the timelines have merged well, back Breath of the Wild, time. yeah. They say or, it, sorry, Breath of the it's Wild. a convergence where it's so far in the future compared to the rest of the timeline that everything has already happened within whatever order yeah. you fucking want, yeah. and the timelines are te- effectively one timeline. Well, guess what? They fucking, they're back to fucking two, yep. maybe even three. In, in my mind, we're back to three timelines, and I'm going to go over why. Okay. So right. I believe Terrico plays a central part in all three Breath of the Wild versions, and I think Breath of the Wild is actually the second time through. So here's my thought process on it. In this storyline, I feel like there's one Breath of the Wild context that happened that we didn't see, and that one is where the first Terrico goes back in time. So this is uh, the version where they never get a warning of Calamity happening. So effectively, Ganon takes over, and Terrico gets infected, and I would say in this version, Ganon could very well lose because there was no Guardians or anything like that. Link was still present, able to defeat Ganon. But this Terrico got infected by the Calamity. And this Calamity Ganon, in a stitch to possibly win, realizing this Guardian can time travel, sends this Terrico back in time. And this is where the Breath of the Wild that we know happens. So the Seer, Astor, ends up getting this one and ends up winning the war for Ganon through his manipulation, telling them, oh, you got to free these Guardians and all this stuff. This ends up happening, and in this uh, version of the story, this is, even though uh, Aster wins, this Terrico doesn't get infected because he wakes up beforehand because Zelda's powers awaken. He ends up jumping back in time and causes this third timeline, which happens in the Age of Calamity storyline. So, in my mind, again, we won't know anything until we get Breath of the Wild 2, but I think how things played out, we're going to have a timeline that we didn't see, the Breath of the Wild, which is the second version of it, and then this version, which is the third, and I actually think Breath of the Wild 2 might play off of this one, and not the last one we played. So I, that was going to be one of my questions, was whether or not you think Breath of the Wild 2 is going to be a sequel to Breath of the Wild, or a sequel to this timeline? Because I'm personally of the mindset that they're probably going to do it as a sequel of the Age of Calamity timeline. Yeah, I feel like they defeated Ganon, but Ganondorf could still exist in this one, where I feel like Ganondorf is a much harder thing to explain through the other one. Yeah. Um... That being also, it gives them the ability to reset your powers in a much easier way if they say it's off of this timeline. Yeah. Um, that being said, I don't know about the three timelines you've set out. I definitely agree that Breath of the Wild and Age of Calamity are two very separate timelines that they're setting up. Yeah. Uh, I'm a little bit nervous that they're just going to go full Ocarina of Time again and say there's a third one, which is just... Ganon never loses and Link never wakes up from the resurrection thing. I mean, to be fair, we already got the 
Ganondorf, uh, Ganon 1, and that was before <laughs> Breath of the Wild. So we have the Ganon 1 one, which goes into Breath of the Wild. We have Ganon Loses, which goes into this one, uh, which is created by Age of Calamity. And I feel like, like in my, in my version, again, there's no way we can confirm this is all speculation at this point. I feel like there's a third one, which is Ganon, I guess, nothing happens. <laughs> yeah, my thoughts are still large and the same of what I originally thought going through this game and finishing it, is that... We now have two different branches. There's definitely two different At least branches. Two, yeah. yeah. So whether or not there's the third one that you've suggested. And, and that's because in my mind, Terrico has to go back in time for Aster to do what he does. The corrupted one. Yeah. I'm still a little iffy on that part, but that's... Which means there's fucking three Terricos in yeah. Age of Calamity. But, um, <laughs> yeah, from my mind... Like, Zelda's always had Terrico because of the cutscenes that we've seen. She's the one yeah, who I made Yeah, I feel like no matter Terrico. what, Terrico can be yeah. considered a canon thing in this universe that was around. Yeah. Whether yeah. he was functioning, evil, or on a shelf. Zel- Zelda's father took Terrico away from Zelda at an early age so she would start focusing on her sealing powers as opposed to her toys and uh, trivial pursuits of researching all this technology. And uh, so he just kind of remained in that box and at some point made it into Zelda's study. Just kind of forgotten there. And so that... when the calamity happens, Terrico wakes up in that timeline and goes to the past, but that's a different timeline progressing now. Yeah. So that timeline where Terrico left is the one that we get in Breath of the Wild where the Age of Calamity happens, yeah. the kingdom falls, Link wakes up a hundred years later. And the, the reason we can say this like is most likely what would have to happen is because that's the what has been established already with time travel. Time travel in this universe isn't really time travel. It's more of splitting timelines. Yeah. yeah. So you're traveling between. Uh, and, uh, sorry, go on. Yeah. And of course, when Terrico goes back through the portal, a couple clouds of malice from the Calamity come through after him. Some, presumably, to start infecting some of the Guardians to try to stop them. But then one of them definitely goes to the Terrico of that timeline that Terrico just went to. And uh, that's how Aster, still working with the family, probably came into contact with Calamity Ganon. Because I'm assuming up until that point, he was still completely fine on board with saving Hyrule, but then he probably somehow got infected by the Calamity. Could be. And, uh... So yeah, from there we have the two timelines, the one where all of the champions are still alive thanks to the intervention of their counterparts from the future, yep. and the one that we have from Breath of the Wild. And I am assuming that the second Breath of the Wild that we're getting is going to be off of, or the sequel of the first one that we have already. I suppose that does make more sense uh, for it to be a sequel off of Breath of the Wild and not Age of Calamity, just for the main fact that they don't want to have people get confused about the major plot differences if they chose not Mm -hmm. to play the Hyrule Warriors game. Well, if if it's off of Breath of the Wild 1, so, again, I don't know if this has been confirmed, but the speculation is that figure we see that has the hand on it blocking it that uh, is is Ganondorf, because... The the original sealed body of Ganondorf. Yeah, because it shows on the text it's uh, sealed Ganondorf or something like that is what's written in mm. Chica. Yeah. What they could do is, because we know Calamity Ganon has been around for a while. Yeah. Which means at some point Ganondorf form was probably lost or they might have sealed Ganondorf because they were like, well, we figured out that this guy named Ganondorf every hundred years from the Gerudo shows up. So instead of killing him so he can be reborn, we seal him. Yeah. And it was... His malice that came out and manifested the Calamity Ganon. Yeah, which uh, another fun thing about uh, uh, Age of Calamity is that at the end of Breath of the Wild, 
you kill Calamity Ganon's true form, mm. that means he cannot be resurrected. Yeah. But in this one, he never takes that true form where he gives up everything to become full Calamity. Mm. So technically, this one can also still come back, even though he's just seen it. True. He wasn't destroyed like he was in Breath of the Wild. Yeah. But, but also, in Breath of the Wild, you destroy his true form so he can't be resurrected. That doesn't mean that the body that's already still sealed exactly. underneath the castle can't yeah. come back. And that it might not even be sealed under the castle. It could be sealed underneath anything because we just see all the things rising. Yeah. So it could be the quest of, we need to get rid of Ganondorf. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh... Before we get too much further, I want to go back and talk about Keith's theory a little bit. Because um, if you're right about the three separate timelines, and specifically the first timeline, uh, we know that uh, King Rong was really kind of hard on Zelda about the fact that she shouldn't be playing with her toys. She should be focusing on learning her sealing magic. He seems to be doing that specifically because of the fact that he knows that the Calamity is coming. Yeah. And he wants mm-hmm. her to focus on that. So in that first timeline, he wouldn't be so focused on her learning her sealing magic. So she probably would have kept uh, Taroko with her the entire time. Yeah, so if Ganon just shows up randomly one day, Taroko's around that he can easily be infected because if there's yeah. no other Guardians on Doug, then that Guardian's still available. Yeah. Um, and then whatever happens and he ends up going back in time. Uh, that's just something I wanted to clarify. is To explain that Taroko wouldn't have been put away in Zelda's fucking room. He would have been... Presumably with her. Yeah, if the, the location of the first Terrico and most of the stuff that happens in that timeline, again, it would be something we don't know as we haven't seen it. All we know is Terrico is around. Ganon shows up at the same time he would have, mm-hmm. but he doesn't have the machine army that he can take over this time because they wouldn't be aware without the seer. That is if Astor is the seer. Uh, so to go back to talking about this upcoming Breath of the Wild game, or not even Breath of the Wild, the upcoming Zelda sequel game, um... I do think, based on the fact that we see them, like, finding the hand of, presumably, Ganon... Uh, well, the, the, the hand that's sealing him is, is uh, Sheikah the, technology. Yeah, yes. which is then clasped onto Link's arm. Regardless, the hand so that new is... New game seal- mechanic. New game mechanic. The hand that is sealing uh, Ganon, um, I think what likely happens is them realizing that Calamity Ganon coming out of the fact that Ganon's been sealed and his malice escaping... Probably leads them to believe they have to unseal Ganon to be yeah. sure to probably completely... yeah sealing or the seals probably weakening that's why the calamity was able to leak out to the point it did so I think it's them it's not them reacting to what's happening in the game I think the mo- uh, game is set in motion by them trying to track down Ganon and unseal him to fully end the threat forever. I guess it'd be kind of like a Majora's Mask style of it, where it's the adventure and they kind of accidentally release the evil. Hmm. It's kind of, we're going to try to clean this up, but we hope we don't make something worse than it already yeah, And I believe we actually already talked about like how they would do like the power reset for this in yeah. our Zelda episode, where one of them ends up getting sealed, hmm. and it's the other one have to, like, so maybe Zelda gets put into a slumber to take Ganondorf's place, something like that. Yeah. Or, or like, I just think I, I like ha- I like the idea that Zelda, being along for the ride, is going to be in charge of the Sheikish Slate, which was where Link got all of his powers before. Yeah. But now that he doesn't have that, he has to have something new, which would be the Sheikah arm. Could be. I don't think this would happen, but I think it would be really cool if it Link's powers end up getting sealed, and you actually get a Legend of Zelda game where you play primarily as Zelda. Uh, from her fucking perspective because of the fact that Link's powers have been sealed and it's all about 
Zelda learning how to kind of master the powers of the Sheikah Slate. Yeah, and that's the big thing right? we wonder about because Link already has the Master Sword. We know he can access it. He has all these powers. How do you get that back to a point where the game feels like it's developing? And from what I have heard, it sounds like this Breath of the Wild 2 is going to fall more in line with old Zelda games with, you know, specific items that do specific things showing mm-hmm. up. Yeah. So there's a lot of possibility. It might be that just like Link loses his... It could be something like simple as he loses his uh, Triforce, uh, the Courage aspect that, you know, he maybe he can't use the Master Sword anymore or something like that. I don't know why, but you mentioning Link losing the Triforce of Courage, just imagine me playing through a Legend of Zelda game where Link is a legitimate coward, and every time he tries to walk into a cave, he's just like, no, I'm gonna go this way! He's like, I don't have a torch, I'm not going in there. Yeah. Find me a torch, and maybe I will examine the dark, scary no. cave. So, speaking of mechanics, I do want to point out just a little thing that I kind of thought of coming playing through the game and found kind of funny. As you know, in Breath of the Wild, like, every weapon that you pick up has a durability and it breaks. Yeah. That's because they've been lying around the world for a hundred years. And, uh, all the weapons that you get from monsters, they're just crafted by monsters off the ground. They're not very good or durable, so of course they're gonna break. Whereas in, uh, the Age of Calamity game, none of your weapons are gonna break. They don't have the durability because they're newly crafted weapons. (laughs) I think... They haven't aged for a hundred years. I think the other key difference between uh, Breath of the Wild and Age of Calamity is in Breath of the Wild, you don't have access to the kind of resources who would help with maintenance on your gear, whereas, so that's why it breaks a lot more. Because I think even, like, when you get stuff that is very clearly, like, newly made weapons and shit, it still breaks down very quickly. And Uh, now that in the sequel, Zelda and Link are, as according to the cutscenes at the end of Breath of the Wild going to start rebuilding Hyrule, there's going to be those services and facilities available to them. And also, Nintendo did state that... Actually, I believe they stated that they're going to retool the weapon system due to player feedback. So I think it's entirely possible that uh, weapons will still have durability, but it'll be possible to repair weapons instead of them just disappearing the moment you use them too much. Probably. And the, the main feature of Breath of the Wild was it was kind of going back to the exploration aspect of the original Zelda game. At the same time as it's pretty much a survival game if you think about it. Yeah, so, I everything still being remember. Scarce. I still remember my first night off the Great Plateau. <laughs> but that's the whole point. Like it's supposed to be scarce resources, and anything is like not permanent. So you have to be very smart about how you use everything. Mm-hmm. Them changing that for Zelda Two, I can see make a lot of sense. Uh, one thing I would like them to change it, kind of coming from how Age of Clampy happened, is having, for example, the Guardians only. Not the Guardians, the great, uh, the Divine Beasts and the Champions. Their only aspect they play in the f- big fight, and even the the different groups that you help out, they don't really play anything in the big end game. Essentially, aside from shooting a beam, yeah, having them be more active could be cool. Like, yeah, you can just run off to you know Hyrule Castle, and with that, just sneak in at any point or get all the Divine Beasts. But having you know all these important characters actually take part or do something at the end could have been cool as well. Because it still mm-hmm. felt, even though you rallied all of Hyrule and saved them all and got the Divine Beast going, it felt like you were still just alone going into the castle. Like, I was like, I'm sure he's fine. Yeah. Uh, Having something like that be a little bit more active then could be cool. I do think, uh, regardless of how they do it, they are going to have to take away your abilities, not only in the like the standard like de-leveling you, forcing you to regain stuff. I feel like they're going to have to take away a lot of the Sheikah technology. And have, like, there be some corruption in the technology. So, 
the fucking Sheikah Slate, you don't have access to infinite fucking bombs anymore. Uh, and probably even the Divine Beasts would have to get shut down, because having those on well, your side... I-, I believe they do shut down, because after uh, Calamity Ganon is defeated, the high- whole idea is that the spirits of the champions move on, so they're not in the beasts anymore. Yeah, so They're not controlling the beasts anymore. That also writes out their in- blessing powers, too. Yeah. They've lost their blessings, and while in effect you could get another pilot for each of the beasts, yeah. I believe... That would be a mission you'd have to complete to get them. A mission you'd have to complete... Either that, or the Divine Beasts themselves just ran out of power in their final attack after a hundred years. I feel like the Sheikah technology, just as a whole, has to be kind of erased through some sort of explanation. Well, with the, with the Guardians, well, one, it's been a hundred years, and in Breath of the Wild, you see just tons of them just decrepit, not even working yeah, anymore. Yeah, you can have well, like, the Divine Beasts. And then the ones that were active and corrupted, you destroy them. Yeah, I. that's what I'm saying. Like, we have easy explanations... And I feel like that's just going to have to apply to a lot of it. Like, mm-hmm. they're going to have to replace the fucking teleporting around the map. Uh, I, at least in my mind, they'd have to come up with a different form of fast travel. Just because having that whole Sheikah Towers allowing you to teleport around the map raises too many questions about why other Sheikah technologies aren't still working. Oh yeah, I feel like in 2, we're not going to see the shrines or the towers around anymore. And obviously the Guardians, they can still have laying around in runes and even have uh, the Divine Beast still standing where they were. Just as, like, on the map, but unoperable or unaccessible. I think it'd be really cool to have missions where you go to, essentially, the ruins of the Divine Beasts. Like, you go to, I can never remember their fucking Va names, but the fucking bird, like, crashes into the ground and you get to search through its wreckages. It's like Va Mido. Va Mido. Mido, yeah. Va Mido. I, I remember them all because... Aside, they're all named after characters. Yeah, aside from Mido, they're all a play on a character from Ocarina of Time. Va Naburus is a uh, play on Naburu. Uh, Va Ruta. I oh, know Va. What was the elephant? Va. It's it's a play on Ruta. Yeah, I I'm not gonna be able to answer this question. I just said I can never remember their fucking names. Va Rudania Darunia. Yeah. Uh, regardless. Yeah, Meadow is that bastard in the forest. Oh yeah. Regardless. Although um, I guess it could be a medley as well. True. I just think it would be cool if instead, similar to how you had the Divine Beast missions in Breath of the Wild 1, if in the sequel game you have these times where you go back to the Divine Beasts, but they're no longer operable, so you don't have the same mechanics of, like, being able to rotate it to get access to different pieces, mm-hmm. and it's more so you just rummaging through the wreckage to find something. Something, or combat some uh, enterprising third party who is there to sack the place for technology. Yeah. Beetle. Yeah. Beetle. <laughs> or the Yiga Clan, because they're not your allies in this one. Uh, another thing. That could be cool, bringing back Master Koga. You just fell down a hole, maybe hit the bottom finally, and yeah. then Ganondorf was down there. That's another thing. Master Koga's been alive for a hundred years. More than a hundred years. Yeah. I actually like this idea. I hope Ganondorf's at the bottom of that hole. <laughs> That's where Ganondorf is? <laughs> Him falling is what wakes up Ganondorf. <laughs> uh, but also in Breath of the Wild 2, they've established that they're bringing back dungeons as well. Yes. So yes. that could be something else that uh, also changes the landscape, but you have to wonder how much they're changing the landscape. I don't think the landscape itself should be changed too much. I feel like they can introduce dungeons without completely reshaping the Well, it's just things rising up from under the ground, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, in my person, I don't know how... I mean, I understand how. It's just funny how both of the times we've talked about Zelda, we spent a significant portion of time talking about the upcoming sequel game. I feel like when you're talking about Zelda, you're, it's mainly going to be theorycrafting. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I feel like regardless of how they do it, 
they're going to have to write out the Sheikah technology to be replaced with a new mechanic to be developed over yeah, the course of the game. That's another thing I mentioned before we started talking today. Ganondorf steals the Sheikah Slate. They're getting quite far in with the technology and the things that you're capable of. So Nintendo probably doesn't want to go too far into the age of technology. When does Link get a gun? Yeah, the master gun. He already has a fucking uh, motorcycle, goddammit. Yeah, so... I think you mean a divine beast. Sure. And also... Oops. And also the uh, whole thing about Calamity Ganon not being able to resurrect anymore and Breath of the Wild 2 presumably destroying the body of Ganon. Um, who are they going to bring in as a villain in the future? See, here's the... I mean, Zelda 2, pro, pro, uh, you know, ended the resurrection of Ganon as well, so I don't think ending the resurrection of Ganon oh, yeah. stops their ideas. Even if they don't have Ganon get resurrected, it they can just tie it Instead of being tied to Ganon and fuck, fucking uh, Skyward Sword is the one who introduced Demise. Demise, Demise yeah. Uh, even end up being the villain of Breath of the Wild 2, honestly. True. Yeah. Uh, because he was the one who started the whole cycle in the first place. Yeah. yeah. Regardless, however they want to do it, they just have to essentially give the Triforce of Power to a fucking random guy, and there you go, boom, villain for eternity. It's true. Um, they don't have to worry... I like the idea of them cutting off the Ganon Resurrection because there's still so many ways for them to introduce villains. I mean, we've had multiple Zelda games where it didn't involve the Triforce for the villain, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just so many of these games have just been the same three fucking pieces just fighting against each other except getting resurrected. I think four. Impa's pretty much involved with all this too. But regardless, it's usually... She's the centerpiece. Regardless, it's usually just Always fucking Zelda, Link, and Ganon in different forms fighting against each other. Impa's often there as well. I think it'd be interesting for them to take away Ganon and still replace him with a different piece to see how that affects mm. Yeah, we've seen this too because we've had, uh, was it Vadi? Yes. yes. Uh, as well as we had Jorah. So they're, like, they've done really good and memorable villains without involving the Triforce and the three sides of, you know, Ganon, Zelda, and Link in a conflict. They can do good... Zelda stories without involving that. Yeah. Besides, even like, if they've killed off Ganon and say he's not going to come into the timeline anymore, they can still just decide to jump back and introduce games to the earlier part of the timeline. They already don't release them in chronological order yeah. in the world order, so they can just be like, oh, fuck, we want to do a Ganon game. Uh, it takes place here in the timeline. To be fair, we tend to get batches of games that are close to each other, and then they get bored with that and then do other things. Yeah. So yeah, I, I think... We'll probably get more Ganon in this game, but I think it's very easy for them to write in other villains for future yeah. uh, games. Um, but just because Ganon's killed off and can't resurrect doesn't mean they're not going to bring him back for another reason. Also, they could bring back the Twilight Realm. Because as of Twilight Princess, the Twilight Realm was sealed off. Just imagine Breath of the Wild scale, but doing something like the Dark World or the Mirror oh, World. That. Actually... Considering they already have the map, and they would want to change it up a bit, that is something they could do with the next one. Okay. Uh, now that we're getting <laughs> into it. Uh, actual final boss of upcoming Zelda game, my personal contender, because he's always my least favorite person to fight against in any Zelda game, fucking Shadow Link. I want Shadow Link to be the final boss. Oh, he had better make an appearance in this next Breath of the Wild yeah. game. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of, like, cool thing. Like, I feel like Breath of the Wild revitalized and changed so much that you'd expect from the franchise that it's, even though there's a formula, it's really hard to say what could happen in the next one. Mm-hmm. Well, I like the idea of them keeping a lot of what they did in 
Breath of the Wild to change, but reintroducing ideas they had from the other ones to see how it plays out under this new kind of world that they built and the new mechanics they've had. Because I actually, I was one of the people who was a huge fan of the fact that they got rid of the fucking dungeons in Breath of the Wild, so it wasn't so formulaic in how you did things. I was, yeah, I was also fine with their not being your typical dungeon, but I also kind of missed that whole large puzzle kind of yeah. solving thing. So yeah. that's what I'm looking forward to in this one, is them reintroducing dungeons, uh, just because it hopefully won't be that as formulaic as it had gone mm. up until that point. Yeah. Uh, but we'll give them an I the ability yeah. to play around with that yeah, now that they've kind of... As they learned with Breath of the Wild and the puzzles in the shrines, a lot of them are incredibly open-ended on how you solve them. Yeah. I remember in uh, Nugurius, I ended up solving the electrical puzzle by just taking all my weapons and dropping them on the ground. In the oh, that's absolutely what I did. You have to get electric uh, electricity from here to here. Fuck, thank God I got a hundred metal weapons. Let's just throw them exactly. on the floor and create a chain. Because <laughs> I wasn't going to solve that puzzle. Uh, but yeah, I just, I like the idea of them doing a game where, because of the fact that, in my opinion, and I feel like a lot of opinions, even though the Zelda series as a whole is phenomenal and really enjoyable, there are a lot of things were, that were starting to get a little stale, for lack of a better term, because it just always happened the exact same way. Fucking every time you get to a dungeon, you fight for half the dungeon, then you get a new item, then you use that item for the second half of the dungeon. And yeah, dungeons, the four of them were very, like, very much the same, but I feel like the concept of how Zelda games, they do a very, uh, very good job of changing up game to game how things work. For example, yes. Orphan of Time was the standard, which is honestly the standard Zelda mechanic of yeah. you get go on a quest to get three to five items that end up changing up the status quo yeah. that require you to go get specifically seven or eight mm-hmm. items. And that Well, that was specifically bit. from Link to the Past originally introduced that, and then Orphan of Time was just like, yeah. yeah, we're doing that, we're fleshing that out, showing what it looks like on a bigger scale. And then uh, when Twilight Princess came out, that's where the game got most of its flack, yeah. because the formula was so cut and paste from Ocarina yeah, of that, Time. That's my idea of, like, that's a standard Zelda formula. Then they have the outliers because, like, for example, at Ocarina of Time went to Majora's Mask, which was mm-hmm. literally just the four things... That you need to do to fight the big boss at the end. But you only have three days to do them and you gotta fucking keep jumping back in time to do them over and over yeah. again. Or Oracles of Ages and Seasons had the uh, a different style but it wasn't, you know, the fetch quest type deal, right? Yeah. One I Since, really liked... Uh, Oracle of Ages was uh, more puzzle-based and Oracle of Seasons was more just fighting-based. So there wasn't quite... There weren't quite as many puzzles. Oh yeah, but that thing I'm just getting at is like... Yeah, the dungeons themselves might have been very generic, but, like, mm. the way they present the world has always been, like, even if they repeat things, oh, yeah. they, it's not usually back-to-back of the same thing. Yeah. Mm. Uh, one of the games I actually really fucking enjoyed, even though it probably does not rank in most people's top Zelda games, was the fucking DS ones of Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks. Mm. I really enjoyed how they played around with oh, different yeah. mechanics in those ones as well. Like, I keep getting the need to, or the feeling of playing them again. I want to play them, but every time I remember that central dungeon that each of them have. Oh, the like you, fucking tower that you have to keep. Yeah, the tower in Spear Tracks and the Temple of the Ocean King in uh, Phantom Hourglass. And I just remember hating those places so much that it just kills any desire to go back and replay those games. I I don't remember the fucking uh, Spear Tracks ones as well. I really enjoyed the fucking Temple of the Ocean King in uh, Phantom Hourglass. Specifically for the fact that, like, you got more time to delve the more you progress in the game, but the tools you unlocked also made it a lot faster and easier to progress through the earlier levels. But you did have to keep going back and 
reprogress from level one all the way down over and over again. Uh, so I can understand why that might be frustrating. But anyways, we're hopefully getting... that's not a mechanic that they do because I just I was when you were saying that I was thinking it's like with Breath of the Wild two we saw Hyrule itself lifted up. Hopefully it's not a fucking just one level tower going all the way down that we have to go across the world to get parts to go further. Yeah, I don't think they're going to bring back that fucking mechanic. Um, but, I don't know. I like the idea of them bringing back... We're getting so far off of track of what we were talking about. I like the idea of them bringing back the mechanic of dungeons and playing around with it. Uh, especially if they do kind of like they did the shrines in Breath of the Wild, where it's not so linear that you have to do the exact same puzzle the exact same way, but you have lots of ways to go about solving the puzzle. Well, here's a few questions then, kind of tying back into Age of Calamity. Do you think they'll bring back Terrico in any capacity for two? Not a, like not necessarily like as a this is directly from Age of Calamity, but like just as a mechanic in the game in some aspect as a nod. I think they very well could because we now know. Well, since Age of Calamity is supposed to be canon, and it's a canon uh, kind of a splitting of the timeline, prelude to Breath of the Wild and a splitting of the timeline. I see no reason why he shouldn't be there. I just don't want him to be relied on for a full game mechanic. I see a reason for him not to be there. Uh, specifically because of the fact that after Matt discussed a little bit, I'm now on the side of this is a sequel to Breath of the Wild oh, and not yeah. a sequel to uh, Age of Calamity. And Drogo wrote himself out of Breath of the Actually, Wild by yeah. going back in time. He but he doesn't exist. Should be there. He yeah. does not exist in that timeline <laughs> yeah, no, anymore. He, he doesn't exist anymore because uh, yeah, he goes back in time in the age of, or he goes back in time when Calamity Ganon attacks, and uh, then he's gone from that timeline. And even in the alternate timeline where he went back in time and he helps them win, he's destroyed. So, uh, sure, in Age of Calamity you can go do those extra fetch quests to construct him as a playable character. That might not necessarily be a thing that they continue with. Fair. They could just leave him as destroyed. He died a hero. And do you think the champions will return? In any uh, capacity? I think they will, either in spin-off games or in... Well, and specifically Breath of the Wild 2. Oh, Breath of the Wild 2, no. Uh, I think the champions themselves won't, but I think the idea of there being a champion from each of the four major clans will yeah. really yeah. work with when you're... Their, their descendants definitely will make yes. an appearance. And... This is kind of speculation on my end, but I think the next one will focus more heavily on the deities and stuff. Mm. So I think we'll be seeing the goddesses in some capacity yeah. come into play. If not, just to cover up the fact that you lost the blessings of the champion, so probably the blessings of the goddess. Yeah, probably. Sages so um, would be cool to see come back, too. It's been a while. I, I feel like if they're doing dungeons, mm -hmm. then it definitely makes sense for them sages. to do sages. Because yeah. the dungeons are pretty historically tied to sages in that every time you complete a dungeon, you unlock a sage friend. Yeah. Um, Either some sort of spiritual item or powerful artifact was sealed in them, and that is very <laughs> sage-related. Breath of the too, or Karina of Time. Wait, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so they split the timeline in two or three, depending on who you accept, and then they split it three more times. Ocarina of the Twilight Mirror. <laughs> uh, but no, I do like the idea of them doing dungeons with sages tied to the dungeons. Uh, I just don't want it to get too formulaic. Uh, but yeah, I think I think they do reintroduce sages. I think they do gods. And if they are doing gods and sages, I think it kind of does make sense for them to actually bring back Demise a little bit from uh, Skyward Sword. I don't, I'm not saying it will. I'm saying in my mind that yeah. it makes sense. As a plot. Currently in my... 
which I, I might be setting the standard a little too high here going into Breath of the Wild 2, because Breath of the Wild 1 has probably ruined everyone's opinion going forward, and it's going to be a disappointment, sadly. Yeah. But the first part of the game is Ganondorf getting released. You do all these fetch quests and things. And then when you finally get the thing to unseal, say, Zelda, who's in a slumber. Yeah. That ends up giving Ganondorf exactly what he needed because he needed someone to take his place, but he actually needed Zelda's power as well. <laughs> and there was a fluke that she got sealed, not Link. So by doing that kind of in the orphan of time, you doing the thing to stop the person helps the person. Then we get the alternate world, which is the same map, but flip side, kind of like most of the classic Zelda games. In that world, Demise still exists fully, and he has corruption of the, like, you know, the shadow world or whatever the fuck it is. And then the, you have to get the sages in this world to help seal. And it's like this massive game. Okay. Uh, going off what you said a little bit, uh, where, uh, so, in my mind it takes place specifically after Breath of the Wild 1. Uh, you go through the full first half, trying to... I don't even think the first half is you accidentally free Ganon, and then you have to try and unseal Zelda or whatever. I think the first half is you trying to unseal Ganon so you can defeat him once and for all. And he takes Zelda into the Shadow Realm. Or you have to uh, unseal Link. Uh, I think instead of jumping into the Shadow Realm, you jump into the timeline you created in Age of Calamity in a world where you defeated uh, Calamity Ganon in that form. And that's... So instead of jumping kind of like... Uh, <laughs> so they split the timeline just to reform it again. <laughs> they split the timeline uh, with Age of Calamity and then you're jumping between the two split timelines. <laughs> so what if Oyanuma was like, man, I really want to do this thing in two, but I wrote myself out of it. It's like, less. And you just see him like fucking breaking the timeline. It's like... <laughs> <laughs> but then that gives you the opportunity. Everyone's like, what are you doing? It's like, what I must... So it gives you the opportunity to reintroduce the champions who they killed off in one, and they want to have us being characters because they hired the fucking voice actors and wrote really good characters. Now you're jumping to the timeline where they're still fucking alive. Oh, Terrico comes bounding back into the picture, <laughs> opens so up a portal for those champions to come in. Yeah, Terrico is actually fucking fixed by the... Uh, People, that is a canonical ending to the game is you going to through so, doing the bonus. From what I understand, Oyanoma made Breath of the Wild, and the timeline from this point on is just him doing a fucking circle around it constantly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I've created like, the perfect Zelda. It's like, circle <laughs> constantly. It's like, okay, I've got all of the timelines back into one. Alright, I've made a problem. I have no idea how to fix it. This is going to turn into a fucking Terminator situation. Let's break it into a second timeline before this happens so I can make myself a solution to this problem to bring back in after the fact that I can fix this problem now. And then the characters have to travel back in time for Breath of the Wild 3 to resolve something that I'm going to create the cause <laughs> Breath of the Wild 4! Yeah, so Age of Calamity existed solely to split off the timeline so that he could keep the hero or the champions alive uh, and defeat Ganon uh, in that timeline. Specifically so that in Breath of the Wild 2, he can bring the still-alive champions over to his world. And you have, like, trips between the two worlds. One where Hyrule's been decrepit for a hundred years. And one where Hyrule's been fucking thriving for a hundred years. And you get the visions between these two worlds. To be fair, we already have a basis for that implication because of Skyward Sword. Yes. Hmm. I like this. Yeah, I, I like the idea of the Shadow Realm. Oh, that's the best part. Is like, you're worried about traveling to the Shadow Realm only to, like, travel into it and see, like, a much more, like, populous and thriving and happy land and realize you were in the Shadow Realm all along. <laughs> I don't think we topped it. I think the episode's done, guys. Yeah, I think episode's over. Zelda, I think... Zelda takes off her mask and it was midnight all along. I think the real reveal is that we've all ruined Breath of the Wild 2 for ourselves because <laughs> yeah, there's no fucking way that happens. <laughs>
So for the audience, what character did you play in Clay to Calamity? <laughs> also, tell us the plot of Calamity 2. Not Calamity. Breath of the Wild 2. Tell us the plot of Calamity 2, Ganon's Revenge. <laughs> uh, tell us what's going to happen after Breath of the Wild 2 to re-split the timeline that they just forged back into. I told you it's not splitting anymore. It's a circle. It went <laughs> from a branching three-pronged timeline to a circle. Oh, fuck me. But in all actuality... Yeah, let us know what your favorite hero to play in this uh, Marvelous game was. And also, what your thoughts are on uh, the new branching of the timeline that we now have. Yeah. So I guess at this yeah. point we should be suggesting things that are similar to what we talked about that yeah. you might enjoy. So, uh, since we were talking about... May I suggest just looking at any conspiracy theory online and reading <laughs> in our voice. <laughs> but uh, since we were talking about... Uh, Age of Calamity, Hyrule Warriors. I'm going to recommend the previous Hyrule Warriors title. The one that you can now get on the Nintendo Switch as the, uh... Whatchamacallit, what's it called? As the Definitive Edition, which includes all of the DLC. Because, uh, just like the Age of Calamity, the original title for Hyrule Warriors also had about 20 main story campaign missions. But it also has way more just side kind of challenge missions that you can do like literally hundreds of different scenarios that you can play and they all unlock different things and different weapons well there's only a couple of different weapons they have to play a bunch of challenges to get one of them being uh link gets a great fairy as a weapon but it's not link using the great fairy as a weapon he plays the great fairy and link is just trapped in a bottle i like it okay keith your recommendation really the only thing that can stand up to this would probably be a Warriors game. Uh, although, I'm just gonna say Minecraft. There's the open world aspects. If you like to explore, because, honestly, Breath of the Wild, some of the greatest parts of that game is just seeing the landscape go, whoa. It's, Minecraft is a game where you can do that, but in pixel form. Also, that just reminded me. I looked and saw one of the things I have to do to upgrade Link. I have to get a hundred pieces of wood. So in my missions, I just started cutting down every tree I could see. Play Legend of Zelda Risk. Uh... I'm just going to recommend going back and playing Breath of the Wild again. Yeah. I, I had another I, recommendation, but I, it doesn't feel right anymore after I know the conversation we're all, got into. I know we're all going back to play Breath of the Wild after this. Yes. So my recommendation, do what we're doing, play Breath of the Wild again. That's right. First thing, I got I to gotta rebuild Terrico. <laughs> Alright. That was quite an interesting delve into madness. That turned into quite a calamity at the end. Did anyone figure out our Instagram post for last episode? Nope, no one has guessed it correctly as of yet. I haven't gotten any emails since last one. And no updates. Alright, well, if that does it, then thanks you so much for tuning in to another episode of What Is My Podcast About. As per usual, you can find us on all podcast streaming services. We're also up on YouTube. You can follow us on Instagram, where we post, uh, before we start a recording session, a picture that may or may not be a hint to what we're going to be talking about if you feel like guessing what we're going to talk about before the episode goes live. Um, hit us up with any comments. Feel free to leave a suggestion. You can contact us at our email, whatismypodcastabout at gmail.com. If you have any thoughts, suggestions for improvements, or uh, any potential ideas for podcast episodes. Uh, yeah, as a heads up, if one of your recommendations is that we don't do drugs before recording the podcast, I have to let you know, this it was us being completely fucking sober this we're entire on, time. We're on the drug called life. <laughs> yeah. 
So this is going to be our last episode coming up in November. So our next few episodes are obviously going to be in the month of December, much holiday themed. So just be ready for that. Ah, humbug. Don't be such a Michael Caine. Thank <laughs> you.